the year 1863, uh, President Abraham Lincoln pardoned a woman by the name of Emily Todd Helm, who happened to be his wife Mary Lincoln's half-sister, and also the widow of a Confederate uh, general. Now, back in those days, Confederates were considered traitors to the United States, uh, and they could legally be charged with treason. And so Lincoln wasn't so much into charging people with treason. His primary goal was uh, unification, not punishment. And so he issued this uh, thing called the Proclamation of Amnesty and Reconstruction that allowed uh, former uh, Confederates to be reintegrated into the Union. And all they had to do was to take an oath of loyalty to the United States. And so uh, Confederates uh, who pledged this oath of loyalty did not get the punishment uh, that the law and Lincoln could have given them. Instead, they received grace. And grace is often very costly, isn't it? Uh, in the case of Reconstruction after the Civil War, uh, grace meant no punishment, no restitution, but rather forgiveness, reconciliation, and a fresh start. And so the rewards greatly outweigh the costs. Now, Jesus did the exact same thing for us, didn't he? Though we deserve punishment for our sins against him, uh, he offers us grace through his death on the cross. And all we need to do to receive that gift is to accept his offer of grace. And those who do receive it receive forgiveness, uh, reconciliation, and a fresh start. And it's all because of his great love for us. So we are in the last week of our Advent series now, which we've been calling More Reasons That Jesus Said He Came. And our theme this week is love. Uh, the first week, our theme was hope. You'll remember as we've gone through these, <clears throat> we learned from John chapter 6, verses 38 to 40, uh, that we have hope uh, because Jesus said he came to do the Father's will, which is that he should lose none whom the Father has given him, but raise it up on the last day. And we said that uh, the believer's hope is that he can never lose, she can never lose, uh, and we, a believer can never lose their salvation because it is God who secures our salvation. It is Jesus who maintains, keeps, holds our salvation. And so uh, it's not up to our power, it's up to God's power to keep us. The second week, our theme was peace, and we learned from Matthew 5, 17 and 18 that Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law and the prophets on our behalf because we simply don't have the power to do it. Uh, Jesus fulfilled God's perfect standard of righteousness, and when we believe in Jesus, God credits us with Jesus' righteousness, and instead of being enemies of God, we have peace with God. The third week, our theme was joy. We learned from Luke chapter uh, 4, verses 42 to 44, that Jesus came to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. He came to preach uh, so that uh, others might believe. And then he left those believers all the way from the apostles to our day. He left us as witnesses to preach the good news too. And we said that preaching the good news brings joy to the new believer, uh, to the preacher, and even the entire kingdom of heaven rejoices uh, when somebody is converted. And so, again, this last week of Advent, our theme is hope. I'm sorry, love. Uh, love is the theme this week. Uh, and so uh, the essence of the incarnation is love. God became a man. And once we've digested that incredible, uh, stupefying fact that, that God became a man, the question becomes, why? Why would God become a man and dwell among us? 
Well, the reason that Jesus gave in this passage that we're looking at today is that he came to save the world. He came to save the world. And the only way for him to do that was to become a man, uh, to live the life that, that we could not live, uh, a sinless life. And in, in the most astounding act of love that the universe has ever seen, uh, he went to the cross to die for our sins, and then he rose from the dead so that we could be saved by faith in him. So this week we're going to look at that statement in John chapter 12, 47, but we're going to look at actually two statements today uh, because they're opposite sides of the same coin. We've already read John 12, 47. Uh, if anyone hears my teachings and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. So there it is, right? Jesus did not come to judge the world. He came to save the world. But in John 9, 39, when Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees after he had healed the man born blind, Jesus said this, For judgment I came into the world, so that those who do not see may see, uh, so that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. So, which is it? Did he come to save the world, or did he come to judge the world? And the answer is yes. Yes, he did. He came to judge the world and he came to save the world. But uh, we're going to look at both sides of the coin today and uh, see if we can resolve this seeming contradiction. Uh, why did Jesus come and what does that have to do with love? Well, we'll start in John 12, 47 and say that Jesus' primary purpose, the reason he came, uh, was to save the world. Now, remember when you were back in school, for some of you, that was a real long time ago. For some of you, maybe not quite as long. Uh, but our teacher's job then uh, was to teach us the material, right, that was on for the day so that we would do well on the exams. Uh, but we had a job too, right? Our job was to study the material, learn the material uh, well enough to pass the exams. Now, I teach uh, at a, at a uh, co-op up the road here, teaching this worldview class. Uh, and I have some students in my class who try really hard, and I have some who don't try quite as hard. Uh, and uh, my daughter Allie is a teacher as well, and so we often have uh, discussions about uh, how, you know, we can try as hard as we want, and we can teach as well as we want, uh, and sometimes the kids just refuse to try to learn it. Uh, I've even gone as far as to, uh, you know, review the test before it's given so that they know exactly what's on the test, and all they have to do is just remember the answers, and still, uh, I can't get the kids to take notes, write it down, and, and they'll fail the test. So uh, I don't know what to say about that. Some kids just refuse to learn. Some kids don't care. Other kids don't get it. I want them to pass the test, uh, but if they don't try, I will fail them. It's what I have to do. Or to return to Lincoln's proclamation, you know, it was possible to actually refuse that pardon, to refuse the clemency that Lincoln offered and be prosecuted under the law. I don't know if anybody did that, but, but you could do that. You were allowed to do that. So the point is that in both the teacher's case and in Lincoln's case, they both offered something. Right? Lincoln offered clemency. The teacher offers knowledge. But in both cases, uh, the receiver has to accept it. They have to receive it uh, by, uh, in order for it to be effective. <clears throat> and so that's how I view uh, John, our John's statement in 1247. Uh, Jesus' primary purpose in coming to the world is to save the world. That's why he came. And so he offers salvation to the whole world. Now, the corollary, the flip side of the coin, is John 9.39. Those who will not believe, Jesus will judge. But not because he wants people to go to hell, but because he can't allow unrepentant sinners to get into heaven and still be, and, and for him, still to be holy. 
Now, I know that my teaching illustration breaks down a little bit because God elects those who are saved while the teacher does not elect those who pass the class, but there's only so much I can tackle in one sermon. So go with me here, will you? The teacher wants the kids to pass. Lincoln wants the people to accept the amnesty offer. Jesus wants us to accept his offer of salvation. So thinking about John 12, 47 and 9, 39, we're going to try and ask three questions today. And those questions are, how did Jesus save the world? Who is included in the world? And how does Jesus judge the world? So we will start with the love of God, since that's the theme of the week. And our first question is, how did Jesus save the world? And the simple answer is that Jesus saved the world through love. Uh, It's the love of God that makes salvation possible. Uh, Probably the most famous verse in the Bible is John 3.16. Read it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So why is this the most famous verse? There are so many great verses in the Bible, right? Uh, Who would dare say that there are no great verses in the Bible since God wrote it, right? They're all great. But this one seems to stand out uh, because it speaks of the love of God. It speaks of the sacrifice of God. And love is sacrificial. Uh, The proof that somebody loves you is if they're willing to sacrifice for you. You know, when when we moved to Texas, which is uh, 11 years ago now, uh, for me to go to seminary, Molly sacrificed the most. She sacrificed more than any of us. Uh, We were starting over. I would have a new life uh, in seminary, making new friends, and I was here for that purpose. And the kids, uh, they were going to go to school, and they would make friends at school, and they would have sports and all those uh, kinds of places uh, to meet people and get involved in things. But but Molly didn't have any of that stuff. Uh, She had no friends here. She had no job waiting for her. Uh, And she left family, uh, the only town she ever knew, uh, the house that she loved, because she loves God and she loves me. Uh, And that's sacrificial love. That's what she was willing to do, and she showed her love sacrificially. Uh, Real love is sacrificial. Uh, God the Father showed his love by sending us his son. Uh, What could be more sacrificial than sending your only son to inhabit a human body filled with weakness into a sinful world and then watch him fulfill the purpose for which he was sent, which is to die on a cross for sin? And the incarnation didn't just happen to Jesus, right? Neither did the cross just happen to Jesus. Uh, Jesus chose to come. He chose the nails so that we could be saved. That is sacrificial love. You know, the movies are filled with stories of sacrificial love, right? Uh, Casablanca comes to mind. Humphrey Bogart puts Ingrid Bergman on the plane because of his great love for her, right? Uh, In Les Mis, uh, Jean Valjean uh, gives up everything he can give up because he loves Fontaine uh, and he loves her daughter. Uh, In uh, Titanic, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, right, lets uh, Kate Winslet up on that piece of wood so that she can live. Uh, I always personally thought there was room for both of them on that piece of wood, but (laughs) apparently there was not. Uh, But often the hero has to die in order to save save his true love. Uh, Jesus' love was sacrificial too. Uh, but in a monumentally bigger way, right? Uh, The difference between Jesus' death uh, and some of these movie star deaths is that his death was atoning and his uh, death was redemptive. Uh, What do I mean by that? What do I mean by atoning and redemptive? Well, uh, to atone for means to to make up for, uh, to satisfy, uh, to make amends. Uh, We, you and I, are lost in our sinful condition. No amount of good works are enough for us to save ourselves. 
uh, long ago when Adam and Eve ate from the, the, the tree that they were forbidden to eat from, they ate this fruit, uh, sin and death entered into the world, and every person uh, since then has been born with this sin nature uh, that a- Adam and Eve brought into the world, and we're in a state of needing reconciliation with God. And we cannot atone for ourselves or anyone else because God demands a perfect sacrifice for our sins. And you and I are far from perfect. But Jesus is perfect because he lived a perfect and sinless life. God considered him a worthy substitute to pay for our sin. And so his death on the cross paid for, made up for, atoned for our sins. And we can't do anything to save ourselves because we have nothing to offer except our sinful selves to God. The Bible says that that our good works are as filthy rags uh, compared to the righteousness and holiness of God. So our works are not good enough no matter what we may have done. We're tainted by sin. We're unacceptable to God in our present state. And that is why we need a savior. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Uh, God sent himself in Jesus to save us. Uh, And so uh, Jesus set the perfect standard, and then he fulfilled that perfect standard, and then when we couldn't fulfill that standard, he paid the price required on our behalf. And so uh, when we believe in Jesus, when God looks at us, he sees his perfect son. Movie heroes save lives, but they don't save souls. They don't atone for people's sins. Only Jesus can do that. And that's why we say that Jesus' death is also redemptive. Uh, To redeem means to buy back. He redeemed us. He bought us back from the penalty of our sin that is due to us. He transferred believers uh, from the state of being an enemy of God to the state of being a child of God. As as John 5.24 says, uh, we were transferred, we have passed from death to life. The cost was Jesus' blood. Uh, Jesus said it himself in John 15.13, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. So to answer the first question then, how did Jesus save the world? Jesus saved the world by his loving and sacrificial death on the cross. Our second question is then, who is included in the world? It's a big question. Uh, John used the term the world in a whole bunch of different ways throughout his gospel. I'll just cover a few of them here. Uh, Sometimes John meant the physical world. Uh, In John 21, 25, uh, he said, Now there are also many things, any other things that Jesus did, were every one of them to be written. I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So the physical world. Sometimes he means the unbelieving world that is hostile to Jesus. Uh, John 12, 31, now, the ju- now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Sometimes when John uses the word the world, he's speaking about the non-elect. So John 14, 19, after a little while, the world no longer is going to see me. But you are going to see me because I live, you will live also. Sometimes when John uses the word the world, he means the world as a believing subset of the whole world. Uh, John 6.33, for the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. And sometimes when John uses that term, he means everyone in the world. So John 3.16 again, Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So how is John using the term the world in John 12, 47? 
Well, there's a debate about this. Uh, so if, if you're a five-point Calvinist, for example, you would probably say that the world means the elect only because a five-point Calvinist believes that Jesus died to save only the elect. This is the doctrine of limited atonement. And so uh, they would say that the benefits of Christ's death are for the elect only. Now, most four-point Calvinists, and uh, moving down the spectrum to Arminians, would also would say instead that Jesus died to save the entire world, but only those who accept the free gift uh, are those who will be saved. Now, I would need a whole series uh, to do justice to this debate, and we certainly don't have time for that today. Uh, but I'll just tell you that I fall in line with the four-point Calvinists. Uh, Jesus died for the entire world. Uh, his purpose in coming was to save the entire world. Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient to pay the sin debt of every person who has ever lived, but that does not mean that every person who has ever lived will be saved. That's the second half of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And so God sent Jesus to die for the world. Now, we know from Romans chapter 8 and we know from Ephesians chapter 1 that, that God elects those who are his before the foundation of the world. That's God's side of the equation. Uh, but Jesus' invitation is universal. His purpose in coming, the reason he came, was to save people from their sins. Uh, and so we are saved by faith, which is our side of the equation. We must believe. So uh, I would say, uh, along with theologians who, who uh, subscribe to uh, what I'm uh, uh, ascribing here, is uh, his death is sufficient for all, but it's efficient only for the elect. His death is sufficient for all, but efficient only for the elect. So in other words, he died to save the whole world, but only the believing world, uh, those who have faith, are the ones who are going to actually be saved, who will enjoy the benefits that Jesus purchased on the cross. So God makes this universal offer, whoever believes will be saved. It's true that only the elect will believe, but if you want to know if you're elect, the test is very simple. Do you believe? If you believe, well, then you are among God's elect. The offer is open to you and to everyone else. Uh, and God knows who is saved, but the question is, how do we know who is saved? We really can't, right? It's hard for us to know. Uh, but we are shown a little bit of a test here in John chapter 12, verse 47. If anyone hears my teaching and does not keep them, uh, these are the ones I do not judge them, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. So uh, we can look at this, this first half of John 12:47, and say uh, there is a bit of a test here. We can never know uh, with 100% certainty who is saved and who is not saved. saved. Uh, it's enough for us, I think, to, to just be sure we are saved, right? That's enough of, a, of an issue for us without having to worry about uh, other people and judging them. But this simple test is, do they hear Jesus' teaching and do they obey? Or do they disobey? Uh, if they obey, uh, well, then uh, we can have at least some uh, idea that perhaps they are saved. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so here is the test. Again, Jesus died for us because of his great love for us. And so do we love him? Uh, if we love him, we will obey him. That's what Jesus said the test was. But what does obedience look like? Well, uh, it's a simple test, really. Jesus said himself that the two most important commandments are love God uh, and love others. Uh, we love God by doing things his way. 
uh, he wants us to worship him. He wants to make us uh, the main priority in his life. And he wants us to believe in his son. Uh, and so we love God by loving others, right? And, and trying to lead them uh, to Jesus Christ. And we want to uh, witness to them with our words and by our lives. So we have a duty to obey. But really, uh, obedience out of duty is, is not really true obedience. Obedience from the heart is, is the kind of obedience that God is looking for. We really can't fake true love. Uh, the Pharisees pretended to love God by a ritualistic keeping of, of the law, uh, but Jesus called them hypocrites, saying that they said one thing and they did another. So true love from God, true love for others, comes from a grateful heart that is, that is overflowing with the love of God and the gratitude for all that he's done for us, and then uh, overflows out onto others. It spills onto them so that we can't help uh, getting them uh, soaked with all the gratitude uh, that we have in our own hearts. Uh, and so that's what the love of God looks like. It also looks like somebody who's repenting of sin, who hates their sin because we know that it's our sin that put Jesus on the cross and we don't want uh, to live a life that is unpleasing to him. We want to live holy lives. So if, if we have received Jesus as our Savior, uh, if we love God by obeying his commands, if we love Jesus by loving others from the heart, we pass the test. We are among God's elect. We are among that whole subset of the world that Jesus saved. Jesus said he came not to judge because his primary service or, or, or a purpose was not to judge, but to save. That's why he came. So when we consider the reasons Jesus came, we would never say that God became a man so he could judge sinners, right? That's not why he came. He came to save sinners. And John 3.17 reinforces this point. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but so that, through, uh, so that the world might be saved through him. So it should have been us on the cross, right? It should have been us on the cross. We have committed crimes against God. We've committed sins against him, uh, but he took our place instead. And this shows the incredible, unfathomable love of God uh, from his miraculous conception, Jesus' miraculous conception and birth uh, to the cross and the grave. God loves us so much that he gave his one and only son. And so we can't be neutral about Jesus. There are only two choices, and each has eternal consequences. We either receive him as our savior, or we do not. And as the famous line from the rock band Rush goes that I've shared with you before, if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. And that is a very profound line that I think applies very well in our Christian walk. We have to choose him to be saved. And if we don't make a choice, we have chosen not to follow him. So <clears throat> he came to save. The corollary is uh, that is found in uh, John 9, chapter, or chapter 9, verses 39 to 41. Jesus came to save, but he will judge those who reject the free gift of salvation. So our third question is, how does Jesus judge the world? And this is 9, 39 to 41. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Those who were with him from the Pharisees heard these things and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now that you maintain we see, your sin remains. 
So these verses are at the end of John chapter 9 where Jesus heals the blind man. Uh, and the Pharisees were angry because he did this on a Sabbath. And they cared more about their rules than they cared about the health and the, and the uh, vision of this blind man. And rather than rejoicing at the miracle, uh, they cast him out of the synagogue. Uh, and then Jesus found that man and revealed himself to him as the Messiah. And the man worshipped Jesus. And Jesus used now this symbol of blindness as a figure of speech. The man had been physically blind, and he had been spiritually blind. And Jesus first restored his physical sight, and then his spiritual sight. A spiritual sight is the ability to, to understand who Jesus is, to believe in him as Lord and Savior. And this man received salvation. And this required an act of this man's will. Do you believe that I am the Messiah? Yes, I believe that you are the Messiah. Jesus had given him the necessary revelation to decide, and the blind man chose wisely. And the irony is that the Pharisees remained blind spiritually, even though they could see physically. Now, we are all born spiritually blind. There's only one way to be healed from this spiritual blindness. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Enter the narrow gate, which leads to the narrow road that leads to life. Anything else other than a conscious decision to enter into the narrow gate that leads to the narrow road is a decision to follow the broad road that leads to hell. And the problem with the Pharisees was that they thought that they honored God by this ritualistic keeping of rules. However, they dishonored God by rejecting Jesus. You know, there's never been a more controversial figure in the entire world than Jesus. Uh, some lined up behind him, most lined up to oppose him and to kill him. He gave sight to the spiritually blind, and he blinded those with physical sight. And he said in Luke 12:51, Do you think that I came to provide peace on earth? I tell you no, but rather division. His word is what divides the sheep from the goats. And Jesus made this point again in our passage today, 1247, and then into 1248. So let's just look at those two verses together now. <clears throat> if anyone hears my teachings and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not accept my teaching has one who judges him, the word which I spoke. That will judge him on the last day. And so Jesus laid down the standard. He offered salvation by his words, proclaiming himself as the Messiah, and that salvation is through him. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so people are measured by the standard of Jesus' words. Uh, and if people choose not to believe, it is Jesus' words that will judge them. And so all people have been offered this clemency, like Lincoln offered it to Mary Lincoln's half-sister. So putting John 12:47 and John 9:39 together, Jesus said he came not to judge the world, but to save it. But if anyone rejects his salvation, that person has judged himself by failing to abide by Jesus' words. And John makes this point in uh, chapter 3, verse 18. The one who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. These are hard truths. But the only question that matters in our lives, in anybody's life, is, is what did you do with Jesus? Uh, who is Jesus? Who is he to you? And that will determine our destiny. We are not promised tomorrow. And we're all going to die someday. I'm just here to encourage you with that good news. We will all die someday. 
and if we die without receiving Jesus, it is too late. Uh, Hebrews 9.27 says it is appointed to man once to die and then the judgment. And for many, the judgment is going to be harsh. Uh, Jesus warned his listeners repeatedly uh, to avoid the wrath of God by believing in the Son. And the wrath of, of, wrath of God is the most tragic thing in the whole world because it's so easy to avoid. Jesus loved us so much that he came into the world uh, and died for our sins. And all we need to do is to receive this incredible offer of salvation and believe. Jesus came at Christmas because of his great love. He came into the world, as John chapter 1:12 says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe in his name. This is the love of Christ. Uh, we've been speaking now for two Advent seasons about the various reasons that Jesus said he came. These words came from his own mouth. This is why I came. And so let me summarize these reasons. Uh, he said that I came to seek and save the lost. That was Luke 19.10. He said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many, uh, Mark 10.45. He said, I came so that we might have life and have it abundantly, John 10.10. He said he came for this hour, the hour of his death. Uh, it was this, for this reason that he came, uh, and that is from John 12. Uh, moving to this year, he said he came to do the will of the Father, which is that, that Jesus lose none that God has given him, but raise him up, uh, raise it all up on the last day. Uh, Jesus said he came to fulfill the law and the prophets, Matthew 5, 17 and 18. He said he came to preach, that's Luke 4, 42 to 44. And our passage today, John 12, 47, he came to save the world. So here's my best shot at trying to incorporate all of these things into one purpose statement that encapsulates all the reasons that Jesus said he came. Jesus came as a humble servant in obedience to the Father's will, offering salvation to the whole world to preach the gospel, saving those the Father gave him and losing none by dying on a cross for our sins, fulfilling the law and the prophets, and providing the means for every person to spend eternity in heaven with him. This is love, brothers and sisters. Our Advent theme of the week is love, the great love of God. So as we close this Advent series for this year, I just want us all to leave here never, ever, ever doubting God's love for us. No matter what you may be going through, because Jesus came into the world, lived this life, died on the cross for our sins, whatever you're going through, it is not because God doesn't love you. He proved his love by dying on a cross for you and for me. God loves us, and I don't want us to ever, ever doubt that. He gave up heaven for you. Uh, he gave up uh, uh, life in, in heaven, enjoying perfect harmony with the Holy Spirit and with God for you. He died on a cross for you. Uh, that's true love. We can't do any better than that. So he is our glorious Savior, born on Christmas Day, to save you and to save me. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. Amen. Lord God, we just thank you for these incredible truths, for, for this Advent season, Lord, where we've just continued to, to go through just the, the reasons that Jesus gave from his own mouth why he said he came, and try to plumb these theological truths that, that come from his mouth, Lord. And it's, it's hard to grasp it all, but we are just so grateful for what we do understand, Lord, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead. And Lord, we celebrate the birth of Jesus at this Christmas season, but uh, Christmas is so much more than his birth. The reason he came was to, 
to, to live and then to die for our sins, Lord. And may we not forget these things. And let us live with just great uh, joy, hope, peace, and love as a result of all we've learned about your son, Lord. We love him, and we thank you so much for the gift. We pray in his precious name. Amen.